You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Philippians 3 in your Bibles. We started last week in this lesson on joy in suffering. And we're going through the whole series, Joy for the Journey. And we've talked about there's joy in salvation. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And uh, I'm glad that I don't hope so. I don't think so. I don't think maybe, probably, maybe, sort of, kind of so. I'm glad I know that I'm going to heaven. And that's reason to have joy. I'm glad there's joy in serving God. There's joy in sowing and knowing that there's a harvest coming. Uh, there's the secret of joy, and that's found in uh, knowing Jesus and having a real and genuine relationship with Him. And I've enjoyed this series on joy. Last week, we said there's joy in suffering. And it tells us in 1 Peter that we are partakers of Christ's suffering. We're not in this thing alone. And I'd like to continue that this morning. Uh, in your Bibles, Philippians 3, it says in verse number 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. It says in verse number 13, Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul said, I haven't arrived, I've not attained, I've not uh, reached the level where I've got it all figured out. But Paul said, this one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. And then verse 14, Paul tells us uh, one way that we can experience joy in suffering. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we find in Philippians that there cannot be joy in suffering if we do not have a mindset and a philosophy that is Bible-based. You see, the world does not understand suffering. The world does not understand why we have to go through difficulties and why we go through hard times. For example, the world's philosophy is so, so mixed up on so many things. Here's one just everyday example. The world says, you got to go to work on Monday and you just got to survive. And you just got to make it until Friday. And if you can just survive the, the awful, uh, terrible, uh, torturous drudgery of work, oh, then you can make it to the weekend. And boy, you can party and you can live it up. And that is, that's, that's living right there. Can I tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is uh, joy and there is fulfillment and there is satisfaction in work. Work's not a bad thing. Work's a good thing. As a matter of fact, God created Adam and even before the fall, even before sin, God put Adam in the garden and he put him to work. You see, but the world's philosophy is all mixed up. The world's philosophy is uh, just do as little as you can to get by. God's philosophy is whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Give it all you've got. Here's the world's philosophy. The world will say and human reasoning will say, you deserve it. 
You are entitled. Everybody else ought to do for you and you should not have to do for anybody else. That's not God's philosophy. You know what the Bible philosophy is? The Bible philosophy is you don't want what you deserve. And I'll tell you this, I don't want what I deserve either because what I deserve is I deserve to spend eternity in a place called hell for my sin. But I'm glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve. I'm glad that God is merciful and he's gracious, but our, our joy cannot come unless we are, are, are led in our thinking by the word of God. You see, this book should control your thoughts. This book should control and shape your philosophy. There cannot be joy if we are controlled by, the, by ourself, by our own, our own flesh. The Bible tells us that there is the fruit of the Spirit. Brother Charles mentioned they're teaching that in uh, the Crossroads Bible class. The fruit of the Spirit, the, the life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit, that life will have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. But you're not going to have joy, and I'm not going to have joy if I'm controlled by my flesh. We can only have joy as we're controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. You and I cannot have joy if we're not close to Jesus. Would you notice Philippians 3, verse number 10? Paul said that I may know him. That ought to be the desire of every one of us. I want to know Christ. I want to know him, and I want to have a close relationship that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Boy, I want to know that power. I want to know the power of Jesus Christ who, who conquered death and he conquered hell and he conquered the grave. I want to know that power. I want to have a close relationship. But notice what it goes on to say in verse 10. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. There can be joy in suffering for the child of God. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us. Help us not to miss these truths from your word this morning. I thank you for the folks who are here. I thank you for the folks who are watching this service by way of the internet. I thank you for folks who will listen to this service by way of the radio. But Lord, I pray that the power of the word of God would go forth and I pray that it would work in our hearts and challenge us and change us and, 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 and help us to be closer to Christ because of the time we've been gathered around your word today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, we started last week in 1 Peter. Number one, I want you to be reminded of the revelation of suffering. In 1 Peter 4, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible tells us that we are partakers of Christ's suffering. Remember that verse we looked at last week? It said, think it not strange. Uh, don't think it's odd. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. There's some revelations or there's some, some things that we need to understand about suffering. One thing is that when you suffer and when I suffer, we're not suffering alone. Oh my, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three boys, they were getting ready to suffer. They were standing before the king and the king said, if you don't bow down and worship the image, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Those boys said, we're not going to bow down. We're not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. They said, we believe God can 
rescue us from the furnace, but we're willing to go through the furnace. And you know what they found out? They got inside the furnace. Everybody thought it was over, but they found out that God was with them, not just outside the fire. God was with them in the fire. And the king said, I see four men. We only threw three guys in there, but the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And there was no harm to them. They didn't even smell like smoke. And God took them through the furnace. You may be here today and you may be going through a fiery trial. You might be going through a furnace. And maybe you're praying that God would, would allow you to escape that. Maybe you're, you're looking for a way around it. Or maybe you're looking for God to redirect things. God may have you go through the furnace. God may have you go through the trial. But I've got news for you. You will not suffer alone because God has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You're not alone. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. I'll tell you, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what's going to happen next month. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen at noon today. But God does. And he already knows the end. He already knows what's going to be on the other side. And the revelation of suffering is that you are not alone. God is with you. Secondly... I'd like for you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. You're in Philippians. It's the next book. Colossians 1, we see the redemption of suffering. Colossians 1, verse number 11, it says, Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. We can have a, a joy even with long suffering, even with enduring trials, and even with enduring suffering. Verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Friend, I want to remind you, we're not just partakers of the suffering with Christ. We are partakers of the inheritance of Christ and all the riches of God in glory. And I'm glad that we are a part of the family of God. We are children of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And there's an inheritance that's waiting for God's people. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his... What's the next word there, verse 14? Through his blood. Now, hang on. The Bible says that we have redemption and it's through his blood. Now, we're going to talk about this tonight around the Lord's Supper, but I want to remind you the reason you have redemption, the reason that I have been saved, the reason I've been redeemed is because Jesus was willing to suffer for you and for me on the old rugged cross. He was willing to shed his blood and there's the redemption that comes through suffering because Jesus was willing to pay the price. That old commercial used to say uh, all these different things that you could, you, could, uh, you could buy and you could experience and then it would say, and there's some things that money cannot buy. And for everything else, there's whatever credit card or whatever it was, you know, ha ha. I want to tell you, there are some things that money cannot buy. And one of those things is salvation. All the money in the world couldn't buy your salvation. 
All the riches in the world and all the treasures in this world could not pay the price to redeem you, to buy you back from sin. But I'm so glad that the precious blood of Jesus was shed, the blood was applied, the price was paid, and redemption was complete because Jesus was willing to suffer so that you and I could be saved. Hallelujah for that. Boy, I tell you what, I'm glad that there's joy because Jesus suffered so that you and I could have eternal life. There's the redemption of suffering. The price had to be paid. Number three, would you turn back with me to 2 Corinthians? And I'd, I'd love to take each of these points and take a whole week on them, but we'll just move through for sake of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We see the revelation of suffering. We see the redemption of suffering. But number three, I want to, to show you some reminders of suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. The Bible says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We've corrupted no man. We've defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you. For I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. Notice verse 4. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Now, hang on. That's so contrary to the world's thinking. Paul tells the church at Corinth, he said, I'm exceeding joyful even though we're going through a lot of tribulation. Even though we're going through a lot of trials, I'm exceeding joyful. How can we have joy in trials? How can we have joy in suffering? Notice with me, if you would, verse number uh, five. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Have you ever felt like that? It seemed like everywhere you turn, there's more problems and I didn't mean to turn over here to this side like, you know, your problems or anything. But, you know, there's trouble over here and trouble over here and trouble over here. And, boy, when the choir's up there, let me tell you, there's trouble in the choir. And we know there's trouble in the sound booth. But have you ever felt in your life, have you ever felt like you're, you're, you're just troubled from every side? It says, Paul said, there were uh, fightings without, outside there were fightings, and inside there were fears. Verse 6, nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Now, hang on. There's some reminders in suffering. One reminder is found in verse 1. It's the promises of God. You know, when you and I go through suffering, we ought to have a list of promises that we quote and a list of promises that we claim like this. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We ought to have uh, some lists like thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. We ought to have some promises that we claim. There's the reminder of God's promises. But verse six, I see there's the reminder that God brings comfort. God brings comfort and consolation in our suffering. And not only that, 
But God wants to comfort you and God wants to comfort me. But God wants to use us to comfort somebody else. Did you notice what it said in verse 6 and 7? Paul said, Titus came and he comforted you and you comforted him. And that's why we're here as Christians. We're here to tell people about Christ and we're here to encourage and to uplift and exhort and be a blessing. You know, if we're not careful, here's the attitude. And, and I'm, I'm guilty. We're all guilty. But if we're not careful, here's the attitude. I come to church and I'm just waiting for somebody to comfort me. I've had a rough week. It's been hard. And I hope people realize all the things I'm going through. And I hope people realize how hard I've had it. And if they don't realize it, I'm going to tell them all about it. And if they don't catch it first time around, I'm going to start again. I'm going to tell them how bad I've got it. And I'm waiting because I need some comfort. And, and friend, maybe you do need some comfort. And I hope you get comfort. And I hope you come uh, to Victory Baptist Church. And I hope you get something that will help you through the week. And I hope you're challenged and blessed and encouraged. But it's not just for us to receive the comfort. It's for us to give the comfort. It's for us to look around and say, there are people in this room who've got it worse than I've got it. You say, no, uh oh yeah. And God will sometimes, he'll remind you of that very clearly. There have been days when I've been feeling sorry for myself or I've been having a bad day and I know it's the Lord, but he'll bring somebody across my path and after I spend some time with that person, I walk away and I say, Lord, please forgive me for ever thinking that I had it bad. Lord, forgive me for ever complaining because I've got it a hundred times better than somebody else and what they're going through. And God wants to use us to comfort one another. There's the reminders of suffering. Number four, I see it in 2 Corinthians 8, the very next chapter. Moreover, brethren, we do have you to wit of the grace of God or to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Verse two, how that in a great trial of affliction. Now, is that, humanly speaking, is that good or bad? Great trial of affliction. Do you think that's good or bad, humanly speaking? That's bad. That's real bad. That's bad on top of bad. Great trial of affliction. The abundance of their, what's the next word? Oh, now, hang on, time out. You must have read that wrong. It just said there was a great trial of affliction, and then it says they had an abundance of joy. That's not possible. Now let's read on. And their deep, what's the next word? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. You're telling me there's a great trial of affliction, there's abundant joy, and there's deep poverty, and those are all, they all go together? It's exactly right. Now, our thinking... In our world, that does not make any sense at all. How can you have deep poverty and great joy at the same time? How can you have a great trial of affliction and you can still be filled with joy at the same time? I'll give you, for instance, if you read about or if you study in our country or other countries, you study about the millionaires. You study the billionaires and you read about them. I'm not talking about the ones in our church. I'm talking about other ones. I don't think we have any of those in our church. But you know what's amazing when you read about those people? There's something that, that kind of keeps coming up. 
They're not happy. You know what they want? More. You say, but wouldn't they be happy when they got a million? Oh, no. Once you get a million, you got to have two. And once you get two, you got to have three. And wouldn't they be happy once they get this mansion? Oh, no, because after you get this mansion, you got to have this mansion. And wouldn't they be happy after they got this car? Oh, no, because then you got to have this car. And wouldn't they be happy? Oh, no, 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 because things will never satisfy. And there'll never be enough money. You'll never have enough money to satisfy because money doesn't satisfy. Money does not bring contentment. And you study the millionaires and the billionaires and you'll find out they're not happy. And you'll find out that they will be uh, arrested for uh, DUIs. and They'll be uh, uh, addicted to drugs and they will overdose and they'll commit suicide and they'll have homes that are wrecked and ruined. And you say, how is that possible? Here's why. Because they thought that joy came from having stuff. And they found out when it was too late, that's not where joy comes from. Occasionally, you'll read about somebody who's a happy camper. And most of those people, they found out that joy is not in getting, but joy is in giving. And that's where the Bible philosophy comes in. The Bible already said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But there's joy. In this church here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this church experienced great joy, although they had great trial and they had deep poverty. How in the world can they in their suffering, how can they have that? The answer is found in verse number one. It says, moreover, brethren, we do have you to wit or to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. You know, the resources of suffering that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the resources are that joy comes in suffering because of the grace of God that is extended. These people knew the grace of God. Notice verse number five. It says, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Did you know that there can be joy in suffering when you know you're in the will of God? When you know you're doing what God wants you to do and you know you're doing what's right, Say, well, pastor, I'd like to find the will of God. And we, we talk about that a lot for our teenagers on, on finding the will of God. But every adult in this room, every senior citizen in this room, every parent, every grandparent, every single adult, every one of us can know the will of God. And every one of us can be in the will of God. It's not a mystery. It's not a, a, a magical thing. Uh, the will of God is just simply doing what God has told us to do. Just doing what he wills, doing what he wants us to do. The will of God is found in scripture. The will of God is that people would get saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. Did you know you're in the will of God this week as you tell people about Jesus? as you pass a gospel track, as you witness to a friend or witness to a neighbor, you're in the will of God this week as you teach a class or run a bus route or as you uh, try to be a, a testimony and try to be a witness at the workplace. That's the will of God. He wants people to be saved. God's will is our sanctification, that we be set apart. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. God wants us to be more like Jesus every day. Friend, I think as Christians, I think it's time we stop looking to the world and say, I want to look like them. 
I think it's time we start looking to Jesus and say, I want to look more like Jesus. I want to talk more like Jesus. I want to act more like Jesus. I want to be more conformed to the image of Jesus than ever before. Here's the will of God. First Thessalonians says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is God's will that you and I be thankful. You say, but I don't have a lot of stuff. <laughs> you probably should thank the Lord for that because that may be the very thing that would rob you of your joy. But some of the happiest people I've ever met are the people that had the least. I spent this week, I spent time in the emergency room. I already mentioned that with Brother George and Miss Gina. I spent time this week visiting people after surgery. I've spent time in the hospital this week visiting people dealing with cancer and dealing with leukemia. I spent time this week dealing with people uh, planning a funeral. And I dealt with a lot of other situations. And you know what's amazing to me? Is some of those people I would have thought would have been having the hardest time. But some of those people were the happiest people I met this week. You know why? Because even in their suffering, they've experienced the grace of God. We can have joy in suffering. Lastly, and I'll close, Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. We find that there is a reward for suffering. Matthew 5 and verse number 11, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Oh, I don't like it when people revile me. That is to, uh, to defame or to tear somebody down. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Friend, I don't even like it when people talk bad about me and it's true. I mean, I don't even like that. But Matthew 5 says, you're to be happy, you're to be blessed when people say bad things about you that aren't even true. You're blessed, you should be happy. In verse number 12, here's the command, rejoice. Have joy, be glad, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we will stand before a judgment seat someday and it will not be a place of punishment, but it will be a place of reward. At that judgment seat, there will be crowns that will be given out for our faithfulness and for our service. One of those crowns is found in James chapter 1 and Revelation 2. It's called the crown of life. And that crown is promised for those who suffer. For those who stay faithful to God through the hardships and they shall receive a crown of life, the Bible says. People may forget what you do. People may forget the promises they've made to you. I, I was in the early service. I used this illustration. Brother Watts was sitting right back here and he just got back from a trip to California. I said, I said, if I promise Brother Watts, Brother Watts, when you get back from California, I'm taking you out for steak dinner. It's going to be great. And then he comes back, and then I never said a word about it. And he's thinking, oh, yeah, sure you're going to, Pastor. Yeah. And I, oh, sorry, I forgot. Or I changed my mind. I'm so glad God never forgets. I'm glad God never changes his mind. And I'm glad that God always delivers what he promises. And there's a reward. There is a reward for those that would suffer. In 1905 in South Africa, 
there was discovered the largest diamond in history to be found. It weighed 3,106 carats. 3,000 carats. That's how much this thing weighed. I think they said it was about the size of a guinea pig. I mean, that's how big that that diamond was. It was so, so big and it was so valuable. It was almost not practical. So they commissioned for uh, a jeweler to actually to cut it up and they cut it into about 10 different pieces. The two largest pieces now are part of the crown jewels that they have there in Britain and are so, uh, uh, so, uh, 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 so much in awe and so much uh, in uh, um, you know, people wanting to come and just see them. And just, it's unbelievable just to see those. And those are actually much smaller than what was originally found. Everybody in here would say, yeah, if somebody gave me a diamond, I think I'd take it. You may not keep it as a diamond. You may sell it and pay some bills or something, but you wouldn't refuse it if somebody gave you a diamond. Diamonds are so valuable, and they're, uh, they're so amazing, and they're so incredible, and we all would love to have a diamond. But you know, most of us would not sign up for the process. You know how a diamond is formed? It is formed very deep in the heart of the earth. It is formed in darkness. It is formed under great pressure. Many diamonds are formed near or in volcanoes. And it's the heat and it's the pressure and it is uh, all that process that actually forms something that is so beautiful and something that is so rare and something that is so valuable. And I'll tell you, we like the product of the diamond, but most of us don't want the process to get there. And that's why Job had to say in Job 23, he said, but when he hath tried me, you know, God had to put Job through some pressure. God had to take Job through some very dark days. God had to take Job through some very difficult times and Job had to go through the fire. But when he came out of that fire, he came forth as gold. And I want to tell you, there's a reward. There is a blessing. There is a promise for those that suffer. First Peter 1, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, when we stand before the Lord, and this life is over, and our time on earth is done, and we stand before the Lord, and we look at the suffering we've gone through, but then we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to tell you, it'll be worth it all. There's not one person in here who will say, I wish I hadn't gone through that suffering we'll say, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I was faithful and will be rewarded. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.